What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, Feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. A Rum's Afterlife Adventure is the game for this week's episode. Eight Doors is a Metroidvania action platformer. And some comparable games, things that we talked about before, Salt and Sanctuary, Greek Memories of Azure, Grime, and even some Hollow Knight in there. Pretty good games there uh, that are comparable, and it's right in the mix with them. The game was originally released in April of 2021 on PC. April of 2022 on Switch, and April 2023 on PlayStation and Xbox platforms. The game was developed by Rootless Studio, and they're a small indie studio from South Korea, so shout out to South Korea. The game was published by NeoWiz Games, and we've heard of NeoWiz before. They published Skull. The game also had a physical release, and that was done by Red Art Games, and I think we've heard of them before. And that physical release came out in January of 2023, and it had releases on Switch and PS4 and PS5. All of those are pretty much available uh, in retail on Amazon or Walmart or uh, I think like Best Buy and places like that. The game was released at a price point of $19.99, and those physical releases, the PlayStation 1 is available for $29.99, and the Switch 1 is $34.99. Runtime of the game It looks like an average of about nine hours to get through this game. I guess if you're doing it at a steady pace, maybe somewhere between 10 and 15 if you're kind of going out of your way to do all of the things. But what's interesting is I looked at the trophy list and there's a rush trophy if you can beat the game on normal in three hours. But speaking of trophies, the game does have a platinum trophy on PlayStation. So if you're a trophy hunter, check that out. And me, I've been playing this on Switch, and I got it on sale for $3.99. And I've put in somewhere between three and four hours, and I feel like I'm actually moving pretty quickly because I think the game does a good job of letting you just go through the linear story. But I've beaten quite a few bosses, and so that's kind of how I'm gauging things and how the story is progressing. No one recommended this game to me. I saw it a bunch of times and then finally had it on a wish list and I popped up on sale so I jumped on it and it was really the art style 
uh, and the idea that it takes from a lot of Korean kind of folklore and, and fairy tales or things like that, uh, that was pretty intriguing to me. Let's talk gameplay for Eight Doors. So this is a Metroidvania action platformer, so a lot of things that you've seen before, just some basics. So it's going to have that 2D action melee combat. There's also going to be the map uh, and a lot of Metroidvania in that. In the format of that, there will be some light backtracking, some fast travel, and there'll be some bosses to kind of separate the different areas. And then you got your basic move set. So, like I said, it's 2D action melee. So there's side-scrolling action. You're going to be moving side to side. You're going to be able to jump. You're going to be able to roll or dash, and a lot of melee combat. What's interesting about the game is that there's no stamina bar, and so the kind of refresh or cooldown of your roll and that timing is something that you'll have to get down. But you can just kind of attack willy-nilly. So there's more strategy in like attacking as much as you can and then getting out of the way of things. And in terms of platforming, just some basic stuff like jumping through platforms. You can jump up. You can jump down platforms. Uh, there's no ledge grabbing in this game, though. So let's get into the traversal through this game. There's a lot of platforming challenges, a lot of tropes that you've seen before. There's a lot of pits with spikes in them, so you're avoiding spikes. There are a lot of things kind of rotating, and you have to get out of the way, like these spike balls that are on chains, uh, breaking platforms, a lot of hidden areas, uh, very similar to Grime, which is a game that we did recently, where like you'll just kind of walk into the wall and it'll appear that there's a hidden area. And as you progress through the game, there will be sort of these Metroidvania-like upgrades that you're going to get that are going to allow you to access different places or be able to traverse different platforming challenges. And there'll be some tough rooms, no doubt. Um, and again, like Metroidvania maps, you'll see rooms having multiple exits and you'll be able to kind of chart different paths to go through on the map. You're going to run into some doors where you can go into rooms. And so this is going to bring sort of this split dichotomy here where sometimes you'll have safe environments where there are these locations where people are there and you can talk to them. And then you'll be kind of out in the open where uh, enemies are there and you'll have a platform traversal. So you'll be using the map a lot and you'll be able to pull that map screen up. And there are kind of two stages of the map. So there's like this broad typical metroidvania with just these blocks and the rooms that you're in and it'll have exits that'll be indicated so how many exits or where they might be located in the room and then as you get through the game you have the opportunity to buy a map for the area that you're in and that's going to provide you with a lot more detail on the map and the map is kind of separated by these vague areas or biomes i believe there are eight of them hence eight doors as you get through the game, you can not buy the map. That's fine. You can get by with just your typical block Metroidvania map. But it's definitely going to be very beneficial for you to buy the map. And it's fairly cheap considering the currency and all the detail that you're going to see on it. And there are going to be a lot of points of interest that will be there visually on the map that you see. A lot of these are like fast travel locations, safe points. But I do have to stress that the map is very detailed once you buy it. 
and it's very helpful visually, I feel. Something else that's on the map, and I think this works really well for progression, is that whatever the main story objective is, that point will be on the map. And so you might already have seen the rooms there or been to the rooms there, or it might just be a blank space, but you have a sense of what direction that you're going. So in terms of progression in general, I never really felt like I was lost in this game. So with that being said, I feel in general, the game progression in this game is quite linear. There is a lot of side content and nice optional stuff to do, but you don't have to do it, or at least as far as I've gotten to in the game, I don't feel like I have to do it. I can just kind of push through. As you're traversing, there are a lot of things that you're going to interact with in the world. A lot of it is going to be NPCs, and I feel like the game is pretty well populated with characters that you can just walk up to and start talking to, and they're not always going to be in similar locations. So like I said, there are safe environments like rooms or buildings that you go in. Primarily when you're in there, it's just talking. There's not really going to be enemies in there, so you'll go up to NPCs, uh, maybe get some story context from them, maybe some guidance, but also you're going to see a lot of NPCs sort of out in the world where the enemies are, where the platforming challenges are. Um, so I like that variation of, uh, you know, you never really know where you're going to expect uh, an NPC to show up that you can just start talking to. And also what you're going to get from NPCs is you might get like these mini quests that you do. And it's not that it's very detailed in like a logbook or anything like that, but a lot of this stuff is like collection based. And if you look in your inventory, you might have something to capture things in. And just reading that inventory item, you can actually get the context of what you need to do with it or where you need to go with it. Also, some of these NPCs are going to be indicating that there's like a weapon that you need to find. Maybe it's a weapon that they have or is around them. And so that can kind of put a bug in your ear about like, oh, I might be able to find this thing that they're talking about. Other characters that you might come across uh, there might be these fugitive souls that are just kind of standing about and are kind of lost and are really looking for you to find them and bring them back, quote unquote. And so in terms of collection, that's one of the main collection things that you're going to find. Also, you'll find NPCs that are going to sell you things. Primarily, this is where you might find someone selling a map in that area, or there are other things uh, that you can buy in terms of upgrades, which we'll talk about in a second. Other things you might come across are just story points. You might get to a location. It might be in a building. It might be outside in a random room. But there might be like a little cutscene where two characters are talking or your character might be conversing with someone else. And so going to these story points are, will kind of progress for you to know what to do next. There are also going to be a lot of these pillars or tombstones that you come across that you can interact with. A lot of these are going to be where you get perk points, which allow you to upgrade your skill tree. And these are often at the end of like a small little platform challenge location. And so it's kind of like a nice reward at the end of it. Um, and you definitely want to find these because you can upgrade your character and your abilities. The other types of tombstones you're going to run into are save points. And these are, I think, spaced pretty well. All you have to do is go up to these and hit the up button, and basically you'll it'll be like a bonfire from Dark Souls games. You'll refresh your health, uh, whatever items you have, uh, the enemies in the area, and this will also be the respawn point. In terms of enemies, you'll see a lot of enemies as you're out and about in the world. Very strange, very unique. I love the variety of these enemies, and they vary in terms of uh, their melee attacks, uh, how ranged that is, and the variation there. 
uh, the attack speed, so you'll know how to dodge or dash through them. Uh, the methods for dodging, depending on like the level of their attack, if they attack high or low. And you'll also get used to sort of the roll restrictions and timing with how to dash around them. There are some enemies that you actually can't roll through. And what's also interesting is as you progress through the game, there's a really good pacing of sort of the different weapons you find and your upgrades as you upgrade your character and the co-evolution with the enemies that you then run into. So I like that. I like how things kind of amp up as you get more skillful, as you get more abilities, uh, and find sort of new ways to defeat these enemies or new requirements for defeating them. You'll also run into a bunch of hazards. So like I said, you'll see pits with spikes on the bottom. Uh, you'll have projectile shooters, so not just enemies shooting projectiles, but you might actually have parts of the scenery shooting projectiles, and so that can add to the platforming challenge. And then also you'll see a lot of blockages of different areas that might require you to come back with a different upgrade or, or things like that. So in that respect, uh, certainly very Metroidvania. In terms of bosses, I find that the bosses are a good challenge. Uh, they all pretty much have two phases, and you'll know because they'll scream halfway through and uh, sort of change a little bit of their moveset. I've definitely died a bunch to some of these bosses, and the run-ups to them I think are fine in terms of if you die and you have to respawn. I find that the movesets are pretty good, pretty interesting. The mechanics vary depending on the boss, and I don't think that they're overly challenging. I think, if anything, you just have to be a little patient and get used to the the pacing of the game nothing really gimmicky and nothing really like specific weapon based it's not very zelda i i don't think any boss i've encountered so far needed a specific tactic or weapon to beat it in terms of your character there are a lot of upgrades that you're going to come across a lot of these you'll get by just progressing through the story uh, you'll have something called a nameplate where like every time you get to a certain area or you talk to a certain person um, you're going to get a new ability and so some of these are like the ability to wall jump, dash in the air, things like that. Some of these, I'm not sure if they're necessary just because of where I found them. So it wasn't always in like a boss room or something like that or a place where I think I had to go. Sometimes I ran into like a random NPC and I'm not sure if I absolutely had to talk to them. But when I did, they gave me one of these upgrades. So there's a little ambiguity in terms of what is required to get through this game. And it's actually pretty interesting now looking at that trophy list that said beat it in three hours. I think there's a lot of things that you may actually be able to skip. But a lot of these upgrades will allow for easier platforming or easier traversal uh, as well as finding shortcuts in the map and getting to places a lot easier. Finding these really elevates your options for platforming and also for fighting bosses because I found that some boss rooms like have high walls that I think I could try and like you know, wall jump off of, but I don't think that's necessary for beating them. So I like that it sort of adds different tiers or different layers, but I don't think that they're required, or at least all of them are required to get through the game. You will have a perk tree where you can upgrade some of your abilities. And a lot of these upgrades are just going to be increasing the effectiveness of certain moves or certain items. There'll be some passive bonuses. In terms of weapons, there are seven different weapons that you can get in the game. Some of these, like I said, you'll just kind of find. Maybe you'll find an NPC who talks about a weapon, and you'll find it shortly after. I don't know if you need to get all of these. I think some of these are optional. 
But basically each weapon is going to have a basic melee attack and then it's going to have a skill that you can use. And the skill you can only use if you have a certain amount of sin energy. So you'll have in the top left screen, if you look at the HUD, you'll have a health bar. And then you'll have a bar underneath of it and that's like your skill or your sin energy. And anytime that you use one of your skills, like you'll use some of that energy, but when you kill enemies, you'll regain some of that. So there's a nice uh, simple mechanic there. These weapons are going to have some variation in their range of attack, their speed, uh, the skill, the different skill that you can use. The starting weapon that you get is the scythe, and it's meant for you to go and collect these souls of these like wandering souls that are out there. So its skill is very tied to a side quest mechanic there. But what's interesting about these weapons and the combat is that you can swap them very quickly while you are in combat. You'll also have these health potions that you can use. And they're kind of like Estix flasks because uh, when you go to a save point, they'll refresh. And basically you can use them pretty quickly and they'll just give you more health if you get hit or something like that. But you can buy upgrades to these. And you can also buy some upgrades to your sin meter, I think, like making it bigger. Everything that you buy uses the currency of just these coins, this money. So anytime you kill an enemy, you're going to get this currency. And I think also as you're progressing through the game, you might find these chests uh, that are just sitting there in the environment. And you can open them up and get that currency as well. So it's pretty simple in terms of buying things. There's only one currency. Something else that your character can do, which you find pretty early on, is that your character is actually walking around with another character on their head. And it's this little frog eventually you will get the ability to transform that frog to be very big and then you would control that frog with your character kind of sitting on that frog so there's this swapping or transformation of who's like the main person almost like in the realm of donkey kong country but not quite and when you are the frog the frog kind of blows up and it has a similar move set the frog can jump dash do melee attacks but what's interesting is the frog allows you to traverse across water and also get through other blockages in the environment. And the frog has his own upgrade tree with upgrades that you will get through the story and then you can uh, add perk points to. Nice little interesting dynamic here with the transformation. In terms of accessibility and progression, uh, there's a difficulty choice in the beginning of the game. I went through on normal, there is a casual mode. As I'm playing through normal, I am dying a fair amount of time. I think it's a fair challenge. There's not really any consequence to dying. You don't lose any currency, I don't think. I haven't noticed. Sometimes when you die, if you're not near a boss or if you're not dying in a boss and you're just kind of traversing or exploring, you might have to do like a big run to get back to where you were. And like I said, the game is pretty linear, but I think there are a lot of extras. So as I've been playing, I've kind of been doing both, discovering some of the extra things as I'm going through, but I am really pushing to just follow the linear path because I like where the story's headed and I want to kind of progress this. Also, as you're sitting there, you can actually talk to the frog, and I just found this out recently, and they'll give you kind of context or hints as to what's happening or where you need to go. So this is very much like Ocarina of Time and uh, Navi, who's saying, hey, every five seconds, although the frog is not saying anything. And also in the environment, there are these like road signs that show you where certain points of interest are close by. And that's very helpful if you're looking for a save point or if you're looking for a fast travel point. Um, there's sort of environmental storytelling there that can be helpful.
All right, let's talk about the vibe of Eight Doors. And let's start with some visuals. So this game is hand-drawn, and it is really beautiful. It's very detailed. The characters, the environment, you see everything. You see everything is so defined, I feel. And I love the color palette. So there's a lot of gray, like some black, some white, but it's mostly gray. And then a touch of red in very specific spots. So this is similar to Other Side, which is a game we talked about on our Tales and Sales episode, but a lot more defined, I feel. And I just love the way that it kind of fits into the theme, because as we'll talk about with the story, you are in purgatory. And so I think those colors really kind of match up with like this eerie or kind of spaced environment. Things aren't quite living, aren't quite dead. I really do like the use of red, especially when it's indicative of like a threat. So for example, you'll see spikes in the pits, but on the tips of them, you'll see this red. Um, and the same thing goes with some enemies. You'll see red in certain parts of them. In terms of enemies, these are so odd, and I love it. Some of these are just bonkers, like the combinations that they thought of with this. There's a, a couple enemies that throw these projectiles, but they like spit them out of their mouths. There's a lot of enemies that do like this hide and appear mechanism, and it varies. Like some of them are like parts of the background or parts of the wall, and all of a sudden they open up and shoot. Uh, sometimes things come from underground. Sometimes there are these like wandering flames, and as soon as you get close to them, it's like this big enemy, and it kind of catches you off guard. I love uh, how it plays with that mechanic. And in terms of what they look like, there's variations on different animals, different plants, different just literal objects. I mean, there's this one enemy that is almost like a marshmallow that's between two giant pieces of bread. And so when you're further away from it, it like opens up and it shoots a projectile. But when you get close to it, it's like the pieces of bread kind of shut closed. So super interesting, super odd. I really feel like there's no limit to the absurdity of some of the concepts of these enemies. And I love that. And anytime I got to a new area, I felt like it was just something new, something different. It wasn't just like doubling down on different variations of the same thing. In terms of NPCs and like humanoids, uh, I love the size and scale variation. There are some that are going to be your height, some a lot bigger. There's a lot of geometric shape going on. Uh, like some of the faces will be circles. Some of them will be ovals, like their heads. Uh, some of what they wear are going to be like just giant triangles. It's super interesting. It reminds me a lot of Bug Fables. Bug Fables is kind of a take on Paper Mario. So like a lot of them are paper shaped. I do like the shaping of these characters and that similarity. Although, of course, not as colorful as the characters in Bug Fables. Something else that I notice is a lot of these NPCs have great emotion on their face. Like they emote and express so effectively. It makes them very alive. And there's a lot of like fashion and garb in some of the characters that you'll see. A lot of what I would assume is some kind of Eastern Asian uh, template. I know it's Korean inspired. So I would assume that a lot of this is Korean. From what I notice, like it looks like, you know, kimonos or the, the Korean equivalent. And there's also a lot of mask wearing. Some characters wear masks. A lot of what I would assume is uh, Korean culture uh, going in there, which is really cool to see. In terms of the lore and the world and the story, like I said, this is supposed to be inspired by Korean folktales. So visually, I'm assuming we're seeing a lot of that inspiration. In terms of the plot, it's pretty interesting. Your main character is this girl who is going to purgatory because her father died. And I think like she doesn't think he was supposed to. But a lot of these themes going along with that, the idea of being in purgatory, so life versus death, um, because you come into purgatory and you're not dead, 
you're a living person. And so everybody's kind of thrown off by that, which, and it's actually pretty funny how it unfolds. But the idea of there being souls and reincarnation, you're going to see a lot of these fugitive or wandering souls around, um, and you're going to go to these different locations. And what I love about this is it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, matter-of-factly, because this area that you're in, purgatory, is kind of like this business. So it's like this bureaucratic system where, like, you're trying to find your father, and he's like, oh, he, he didn't he didn't come to billing, then, he's, then he hasn't gone through, you know, this place, or he hasn't gone through, you know, general reception or whatever. And so it just gives a vibe of like a lot of things that maybe Rick and Morty have done or the movie Down to Earth um, or even, you know, lighthearted things like Elf or Polar Express where you're kind of seeing the other side of things. I know it's a bit morbid because it's talking about death, um, but seeing it as like this just another uh, bureaucratic system or even something like The Good Place. And so I see some similarities there and I like that because it kind of brings this silliness, this lightheartedness, especially to something as, as complex as death and, and reincarnation. And as you meet a lot of these characters, as the story progresses, you're going to see these themes of like deceit, people having ulterior motives, uh, which you'll discover in certain cutscenes, things being corrupted. So a lot of corruption. And I'm not just talking about economic or political corruption, but like spiritual corruption. Uh, because some of the bosses are going to be like corrupted versions of the norm. So uh, a lot of themes like that. I feel like this story and the lore here is very layered, and so are the characters. And I do like the ebb and flow of kind of learning about them after I've progressed through an area, or even after I've talked to a character, kind of seeing a cutscene with them later uh, that I'm not in. So it's like I'm seeing the other side of it. And finally, in terms of audio, I really love the music. It's got some whimsy to it. It's very intentional at times. It can be soothing. It can be silly. Sometimes it can be very perilous. And just a lot of great instruments, great variety, some strings, some horns, and really powerful at times. Let's wrap up the conversation about Eight Doors, a rum's afterlife adventure. I think this is a great game. I think in a lot of ways it's pretty standard in terms of the action combat and the platforming. I feel like it's very well done. It doesn't really try to reinvent the wheel too much, but I like what it does and how it kind of stays at, at its level. I feel like it's Metroidvania light. There's not too much backtracking. I really like the linearity of the story and just going. You don't need to explore. You don't need to meander or guess where to go, uh, or at least so far in what I've experienced. But I think you can. Like You have the option of like remembering that there's a wall that now you can break in this one area. I love the aesthetic. I love the palette. Visually, the game is so distinctive and defined. I really like it. And just the oddity of things, like you've got this frog on your head that you can swap to and control and he blows up and becomes big. The enemies are absurd. Uh, the story, being in purgatory, I feel like it incorporates a lot of uh, really interesting ideas. Um, again, I'm not sure how much of this is the folklore 
uh, from Korean folklore, but I'm very interested in how all of these things blend together. The story and the premise are fairly simple, but as you get through, it becomes complex and the characters become complex, and I do really like some of these characters. In terms of the combat, in terms of the gameplay, I like that it's not heavy into customization. I don't think that you always need a deep system in like Death's Gambit or Salt and Sanctuary. I think it can provide you options and it does provide different weapons, but you can kind of go at it your own way and it's not overwhelming with all the different options. In terms of value, I think $20 is fine for this game. I think it would sit better at $15 personally, uh, but I paid four bucks for it and I think that's an absolute steal. I really do like this game and I think that if you're someone who likes 2D action adventure Metroidvania games, I think this is a really good play and I feel like it's very unique in a lot of ways. So I highly recommend it. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.